welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Matthew chapter 28. This is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. I'm going to start in verse 16. There are two Great Commissions. There is Mark 16, Great Commission, and there is Matthew 28, Great Commission. And I keep threatening that I'm going to preach on this, um, but I haven't yet, and I'm not going to today, so it's still just a veiled threat. Mark 16, Great Commission, is to you an individual that you are supposed to carry this out in your life if you are responding to the goodness, the love, and the salvation work of God. I'm not going to go and read that, but you can see in Mark 16 who actually is responding to God's love. It says, believers go lay hands on the sick, go uh, preach the good news, you're going to do all kinds of incredible things. That's just for believers. So you'll probably figure out real quick that not everybody that sits in a church is a believer. Amen. Not everything in my garage is a car. So just because you sit in a church don't make you a believer. Um, as it relates to the dynamic of Scripture. In James chapter 2, James tells us that the devils believe in God and tremble. You know how many more devil you know how many devils are more Christian than most of the Christians? I'm going to prove that in a second. Because most believers, quote unquote believers, do not really know who God is and definitely don't tremble at his awesomeness. Amen. You can't even get them to raise their hands and worship, let alone tremble at the thought of who God is. Okay, back to the Bible. That, you guys are loving this already. Like, he's already said terrible stuff. Who invited me? Then the eleven disciples, the person that invited you loves you. The, then the eleven, it used to be twelve. Not everybody that follows Jesus as a believer then the eleven disciples 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 those of you that have been around for any length of time this is a word that you hear a lot come off my lips disciple there's a difference between someone who's saved someone who actually believes and a disciple most of the promises of God are operating in the lives of disciples. Believers, fitty fitty. Saved, not much. Most of the folks that are saved are stuck. 
You get saved, you got your fire insurance paid, and then the devil thrashes you for the rest of your life. Believers, like 50-50. It's kind of like God the lottery. Flip a coin, oh, I got a prayer answered. Woohoo! Flip a coin, oh, my dog died. Disciples, they're going out making the world come into submission to the kingdom of God. And not everybody is a disciple. Everybody can be. Everybody's invited. But not everybody responds. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. One of the things about a disciple is they go where they're told to go. Amen. If the disciples would have been American Christians, they would have said, I ain't going no mountain. Ain't nobody telling me where to go. Church started 9.30. I'll be there 9.40. That's right. Tell me what to do. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. The word worshipped in the Greek is proskuneo. It's a compound word, which is pro, pro or pros, which means to go towards... Draw nigh unto God, he'll draw nigh unto you. That's pros, to go towards God. And kineo is the Greek word for kiss. (laughs) To worship is to draw close and kiss. There are people in this room that have never, and maybe never will, draw close, prostrate yourself on the floor in a time of worship, and kiss the feet of Jesus. And you will go home today, and you will kiss your dog who just licked themselves. I know it's like, like, I don't know if I should laugh at that. But that I'm, try, I'm using that to explain the things of God to the natural man are absolutely foolish. It is ignorant to get on the floor in a time of worship and let God know how much He means to me. But I can go home and let my dog lick my face and talk baby talk to him and chase him around the yard. All the pet lovers are being like, I don't even have a dog. Amen. I'm brewing up a, a message. <laughs> Who said, who said, oh no? Was that Ryan? Oh, Mitchell? Hey! I got the stage right now. You just pipe down back there, bucko. I'm brewing up a message. I don't know when I'll preach it. I don't know if I'll preach it. But I'll give you the title. It's called Shoot the Dog, Quit the Job. Oh, what's the third part? 
I can't hear you. Someone repeat what Mitchell said because I can't hear him. Bob. Club ball. Club ball. If your child's in club ball, look, I don't know how I'm going to attach that third part to that sermon. This is why I'm probably never going to preach it. But shoot the dog, quit the job, and something about club ball. Which all three are... Never mind. I'm, one day I'll preach that. But the facts... The the reason that I'm I'm playing around with that is because... If we had the same commitment to Jesus as we do to putting our kids in club ball, if we had the same commitment to Jesus as we did um, about our slavery to our job, if we had the same commitment to Jesus as we did to a chihuahua, we would actually have a much better life. And I don't know you think I'm being funny, but I'm telling you, I have tons of notes. Proskuneo, to go towards, to bow. It, it literally means, um, I think Vines says it, that it means that the bride, which most of you know this already because I've preached incessantly about this, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is his bride. For all the guys in the room, you're like, uh-uh. Yeah, huh. It would do... All the men, all the married men in the room, it would do you a great service to understand bride. A, because you are, to the Lord, which has nothing to do with gender. But B, because if you're married, you have one. And to not understand the person you're married to is evil. Is that clear? Do, do I, should I say it in a different word? It's bad. It's naughty. Is there a better word to make you understand that it is wrong? You cannot authentically love someone you don't know. (laughs) And to say, I love you, and to not know them. And by the way, to know someone, you have to be intimate. You have to converse. My wife's been gone for two days, so I haven't had a chance to walk around with her. We try to go for a walk together every day. I miss it. I'm fiending for my wife. <laughs> to be with her. To hear what, what she experienced while she was away from me. To hear what's going on in her heart. What makes her laugh. What makes her cry. What, what impassionates her. What makes her heart reject. The more I know about her, the more I love her. The more you know the Lord, the more He loves you. Or the more you love Him. Not more He loves you. The more you love Him. The more you love your the more you know your spouse. The more your heart is drawn into them. And for these guys to be emotionally distant and not to talk about what's going on in their soul. It is not godly. It is not godly. Men, you need to understand bride. And brides. You thought that you... Yeah, that's right. Get all them boys, pastor. No, 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 no. It's your turn. Ladies. You need to understand groom. One of the reasons that we have an entire society that is castrated. Castrated. Is because the gals are the ones with the snippers. I'll run this house. You just sit down there, buddy. I got this. 
And then we get mad because, then the gals get mad because their man won't man up. And you're the one carrying her testicles around in your purse. It's not okay. It's not okay. Well, they don't make a good leader. Okay. Well, then God made a mistake. Right. Putting you two together. If God was as smart as you, He would have gave you someone much better. But since you're way smarter than God, you need to fix that man. Because that's what you got married for, right? You got married to fix him. You are the grand savior of the whole earth. And you're going to start with your husband. And when you get done, he'll bow before you and he'll tell you how amazing you are, how awesome you are. He'll lavish his love and affection and appreciation on you. And all your little tingles, you'll get duck bumps on top of your goosebumps, and you'll say, that's it, I've achieved. I have my man worshiping me. Because that's what I've always wanted. You are trying to get something from him. This happens all the time in marriage. We have counseled, Kay and I have counseled hundreds of people in their marriage. <clears throat> hundreds. And all the time, people are trying to get from man what you can only get from God. Amen. And so when I'm trying to get from Kay something that only God provides, not only am I now disappointed in her because she's not providing it, But I have false expectations on her and she will never, ever be able to achieve what I've placed on her. Because only God can give it. And it goes both ways. It's not just husband to gal. It's not just gal to husband. Man, I hope you got that. It means... uh, It means that the bride comes to the kissing place of the groom. Proskuneo, to go towards and kiss. In a, in a marriage ceremony that's supposed to represent a covenant, you know the, bride, the reason that the bride is veiled? Most people don't know this. Most people don't know, have a clue as to any of the reasons that anything is in the marriage ceremony. Anything. White is supposed to mean something. Veil is supposed to mean something. The reason that the bride comes veiled is because no man is supposed to see her face until the groom does. Which means no lips have ever touched her lips until the groom. I know, old-fashioned, crazy, God. Of all the old-fashioned things, God is the most old-fashioned. And believe it or not, his way is right. Kay and I have lamented over and over and over the fact that we were not virgins when we got together. Do you know how much pain? Five years. We've been married 26 years. Five years were gone. Because I could not get my soul to line up to what needed to happen for us to be as intimate as we could have. Because I had a past. And I had to flush myself of my past. I could have got, we could have. We could be five years farther. If I would have done it God's way. 
Thank God, God will redeem the time. To go towards and to kiss. There is no zero. There is zero ways to worship God that does not have a physical display. Zero. And I know that's irritating all the people that are very stoic in church and they think that this is worship. It's not. I'm, I didn't, listen, I, I didn't write the Bible. So if you're going to get mad, like send the email to God. I didn't write this stuff. In fact, let me read this to you out of, out of Vines. This is, uh, this is how Vine, W.E. Vine says it. Not me. Proskuneo has been metaphorically described as the kissing ground between the believers, the bride, and Christ, the heavenly bridegroom. While this is true, Proskuneo suggests the willingness to make all necessary physical gestures of obeisance. Try to kiss without physically doing it. So you might be thinking, like, what are you saying, Pastor? I need to, like, kiss the air? I'm not telling you what that action is, but I'm telling you that there is an action. There is physical things that happen to you when you are worshiping God. One of the main things that happen to you is you are unaware of what everybody else's opinion is of your worship. Which is why most people don't. They actually care more about the the person standing or sitting next to them, behind them, in front. They care more about that person's opinion than the one that you're drawing near to to kiss. How would Kay feel if I went to kiss her and I was like, okay, everybody's watching me and you'd make sure that this kiss is just perfect Hollywood movie kiss. Do you think she'd be blessed by that? Or she'd be like, you give me another fake kiss, I will love you. (laughs) Properly to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior. To worship. Ready to fall down prostrate oneself to adore on one knees. I'm reading you the definition. The disciples, the eleven, when they saw him, they did this. Something about Jesus drew this out of them. Something about churchianity. Something about the picture of Jesus on the back of the Sunday school holding sheep, petting them. Something about seeker sensitivity. Something about making Jesus come to you and tell you how awesome you are and bow before you. Does not really truly authentically touch a person's heart to make them want to come before him. Recognize his supremacy. His beauty, His glory, His self-sacrifice. What He gave up eternally. Eternally. Most people don't know this. He traded 
His eternal position in the Trinity for you. When He took on flesh, He lowered Himself from God to flesh. And for the rest of eternity, He will have that body. He traded His eternal position for you. And not only that, that body, right now as we speak, is scarred. There are holes in his hands today that will be there forever. There are holes in his feet today that will be there forever. Well, I'm not going to bow before him in front of people at the church. There are 60 times that this word uh, worshipped was used in the New Testament. All 60 times were in the four Gospels. All 60 times in the four Gospels. And if you subtract the book of John, John chapter 4, there's seven times in John chapter 4 that this word was used. That Jesus was using it for teaching. If you remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus said that the Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. The Father's looking for this. It's so rare that the Father's literally looking for this, looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Rare. Rare. Outside of those seven times in John chapter 4, all the other 53 times in the New Testament, it talked about people coming before Jesus and throwing themselves down. And coming before him as someone they recognized had something to offer that regular man did not. And just so you know, in Judaism, not okay. It's not okay to give obeisance to anybody or anything. It's actually contrary to the Ten Commandments to do it to anything. Do not worship an idol. We got all that. We will not bow to a totem pole. We got that. But how many times do we bow to man? Well, I've never bowed to man. Oh, okay. Let me go talk to your boss. I'll find out. Just, uh, I was, I got to be careful about this. I was just having a conversation with someone who uh, just literally said... That because they got uh, pressure, oh, now I remember. They got pressure from their workforce. And so this workforce that's supposed to be uh, Christian-based said, we can lay down the ethical conversation because we need to do the moral thing. And this makes sense to them. You can lay down ethics to have morality. Uh, How how, how do you do that? Well, you know, I mean, 
Craig sometimes does stupid stuff, so I can just shoot him today. It's it's fine. It's not ethical, but it's moral because sometimes he does bad stuff. People do this all the time. Well, it's not right the way that I worship this person or the way that I, I have honor for my workplace, the way that I get all of my emotional needs from TV. We know those things aren't right. We do a ton of stuff in our lives, oftentimes that aren't right, but we justify it. This is one of the things that I've noticed probably um, more than anything when I counsel folks that have stuff going on in their life that they don't want. The average person just wants to be justified. They don't actually want to be right. They just want to be justified. Like, let let me use, since we're on this, let me use marriage for an example. They don't want to be right, like, get the marriage healed and whole and divine and godly. They just want to be justified for filing divorce papers. What, he did that? Well, you need to to get that boy out. Thank God, Kay wanted to be right instead of justified when I was a fool. Because if she just wanted to be justified, she had tons of Christians who would have justified her for leaving my sorry butt. Tons. And she had one God who secured her heart that said, you can love him through this and he'll come back. And I I have the greatest marriage on the planet today because she didn't do the thing that she needed to be justified. She did the thing that was right. And then God came into that moment. And filled that choice with his divine power. So it's up to you. If you want to be justified, good luck. And you'll find tons of people and they'll tell you for the rest of your life, yep, you did the right thing. Way to go. And the whole time God will say, there was a better choice. Most people want to be justified. They don't want to be right. When it comes to this worship thing, one of the things that worship does is it lets you know that there's someone more important than you. There's someone bigger than you. There's someone more holy than you. There's someone that is worthy of worship. I realize, I recognize in my own life, the more I worship God, the more I actually allow this to take place, the more other people's opinions don't matter to me. The more that I... I bring my body as a living sacrifice before him. The more I do this, the more I recognize that his word becomes more secure to me. When I physically bring my body as a sacrifice to him, the more I have a revelation of by his stripes I'm healed. You know, he, told, he said, 1 Peter 2.24, he said that to all of mankind. By my stripes you are healed. The government says, by a virus, you are sick. 
Which word do you believe? There's activity, there's actions that'll prove. Which one you believe? To the devil's credit, he's got the TV, the radio, the Facebook, the NIH, the CDC, the... I mean, we, we can go... To his credit, he's got tons of voices. And so we hear his opinion more often. But I'm here to tell you, before the CDC, I am. Before Dr. Fauci, I am. And the great I am said, I will take away all the sicknesses and diseases. Because I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. Exodus fifteen twenty six. Then the CDC says, no, 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 no. You're a crazy Christian to believe that Bible and to believe that God. We got something better for you. Proskuneo. I'm going to go before him. And I'm going to let him know that he actually means something to me. And they came before him and they worshipped him. You see the butt? There's a butt there. (laughs) I want you to picture this. I know most people don't do this when they read the Bible. They actually picture these truths. But can you see these 11 guys? On the ground. Prostrate before the risen. The risen Lord. And some of these guys, some, not all, but some on the inside of them had doubt. You know, but they were still worshiping. This is another thing, too, about worship. (laughs) Everything doesn't have to be perfect. (laughs) You don't have to be, you don't have to have the perfect, holy, didn't make a mistake all week. To come in here to actually feel like you have the right to come before Him, to come close and to kiss. In fact, the worse your week, (laughs) the more opportunistic it is to come before Him and say, Lord, man, did I screw up this week, but you are perfect and I come before your perfection. In my imperfection. Some doubted. Now, I want to put this in perspective. Some who? Some 11. (laughs) Some 11. Like, yeah, that 11. The the 11 11. Some of them doubted. Now, what's interesting is this word for doubt was only used twice in all of Scripture. It's the word dastazo, or I don't know, don't hold me accountable for pronouncing uh, Kone Greek. In fact, nobody really knows how to pronounce Kone Greek. It means, uh, it's, actually, it's, a, um, it's a two-part word, 
the first dis is two or double, and stasis is standing or to stand. It means to stand twice. This is that kind of doubt. This is what James talks about, a double-minded man. I believe that this is the risen Lord. I believe that this is the Son of God. I'm really struggling with the fact that I'm standing before the risen Lord, who is the Son of God, because He looks human. I really believe that this is the risen Lord, the Christ, the Savior. He is so physical. I don't think we realize how much this goes on on the inside of us. I know that God is on the inside of me. Colossians 1.27 says, This is the mystery that was from before time existed. The mystery was Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if you're born again in this place, you probably have at least some kind of a peripheral acknowledgement of the fact that being born again means some kind of something God. Maybe God Jr., maybe a slice of God or whatever. Something got on the inside of you and changed you. But, you see what's in the mirror. And you say, that ain't God. And your spouse says, that's totally not God. And so you have, I have God on the inside of me. I am a train wreck. And they still worshipped. <laughs> I'd encourage you to embrace this worship thing. Because <laughs> there's only one way to get rid of this lie. You, you're not a train wreck. This has become popular. Well, I'm just a hot mess today. Um, no, you're not. And I would encourage you to not call yourself what God doesn't call you. And God has never called you a hot mess. And I don't know if you realize, but that actually came from defecation. You literally just called yourself human waste. Hot mess. Please don't do that anymore. Please don't call someone else that anymore. It's not okay. That's not what you are. You are righteous and truly holy. You are loved and valued by the eternal God. All those things that you call yourself, you think about yourself, the way you condemn you, the way you receive condemnation from other people, it's not okay. It's not okay. Some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them. What does Jesus do with folks that doubt? He comes and speaks to them. If you're struggling with doubt, we all have. We all do. The way the Lord responds to it is He comes close. And He speaks to you. Now, what's amazing is, remember, worship was proskuneo. It means to go towards and to kiss, to, to go before and kiss. So the disciples came towards and fell down and prostrated themselves 
before the Lord. And the way the Lord responded was, He came closer to them. Man, that is so beautiful. You'd think He would have backed up and said, That's right, worship me. I beat hell. I'm the God of all gods. No. He's so secure in who He is, (laughs) He doesn't need any of that. When you come before Him and you prostrate yourself in humility and submission to Him, He's the one that comes to you and He lifts up your face. And He looks you in the eye. And He speaks. He comes close and speaks. And there's something about His words mingled with intimacy that drives doubt. That drives doubt far from you. If you remember at, at the tomb... When Mary, who had seven demons, removed from her life because of the word of God, who is Jesus. When Mary was standing in front of the tomb, and she seen a human, a person, she thought it was a gardener. And she said to the whom she thought was a gardener, Please, sir, where have you taken my Lord? And the person she thought was the gardener spoke to her and said, Mary. And in those four letters, from that heart, Mary immediately seen. That this wasn't a gardener. This was her Lord. And she said, Rabboni. And everything changed. Four letters spoken from the heart of God in intimacy changed everything from Mary's perspective. And he's willing and ready to do this to you. But you know, Mary was open. Mary was searching for her Lord Mary wanted to hear from him. Mary's heart was before him in humility and submission. When Jesus spoke Mary's name, it changed everything. Sometimes when the Lord speaks our name, we say, really, again, you need something from me? And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power... Does anybody know what all is in the Greek? All. So how much power does Satan have? None. Okay, I know you're saying that because you're in church. But I will call you on Tuesday, and you'll say, Man, let me tell you all the things the devil did. Let me tell you all the things that he's got power to do. We're in a fallen world, Pastor. We're only human. I would encourage you, again, not only to not call yourself fecal matter, but I would encourage you to not empower the devil by telling him how much power he's got. Because Jesus said he's got it all. And I don't know if you believe or not believe that Jesus is a liar, but if he's not a liar, if he's actually God and his word is true, that means he's got it all. 
All power is given unto me in heaven. Period. Right? Because that's, that's where Jesus, that's where all His power is. It's up in heaven. And one day in the sweet by and by, when we cross over, when we take that flaming chariot to the sky, we're sitting on the crowds playing a harp. Then we'll realize how powerful Jesus was in heaven. You do know that the reason that Jesus had to come here, take on flesh, and destroy the devil as a human, was so that we, humans, filled with his spirit, had the same ability to kick his little snake tail all over the world. Not just in heaven. (laughs) Amen. Go ye, therefore... Uh, Brother Copeland used to say, whenever you see the word therefore, make sure you look and see what is therefore. So what is therefore? Therefore. Therefore. Because all power and authority is given unto me, therefore you. Okay, most people don't realize this, but the founding fathers of our nation, when they created the second most important document that mankind has ever penned, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, when it says, we the people, they got that from this. It's part of the Great Commission. We the people. Okay, so the same reason that all of your rights that were secured by the Bill of Rights have been taken away in the last 14 months, in the exact same way, that they were able to come in and illegally take your rights from you is the same way that the enemy is able to illegally come and take your rights from you. If you don't stand up and defend your rights to your natural government when they're coming to take it, why do you think for a second that you're going to defend your spiritual rights from the kingdom of darkness when it comes to take it? Are you following me? This isn't... All of this stuff that's gone on in the last 14 months, this isn't just because, oh my God, there's a virus. Are you, if you actually believe that, please see me at your church. Dear Jesus. This was to get humanity conditioned to the fact that you need to be okay with losing your rights. That is what this is about. It is demonic in origin because the enemy wants you to lose your rights. He doesn't want you to believe by his stripes you're healed. He doesn't want you to believe that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. No, there's a pandemic. He can't. I'm going to take your business away. There's no way you can make money. Now, okay, please government, send me a check. All of this is on purpose, spiritual in origin. And the fact that people don't see it, it's just, it, it boggles my mind that folks can't see this. It is black and white. Why did they target the churches? Why can you have 300 people in a Walmart and you can't have three people at a church? Well, because it's non-essential. Ta-da! God is non-essential. SpaghettiOs, Essential. God, non-essential. 
It makes total sense. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. So nations is ethos, which in the Greek is people groups. It's not nation like America, Canada, Mexico. It's people groups. It's any way that people groups are different from other people groups. You got, you got people in the South who have a draw. And then you got Yankees, where everything is crap. You have to say it through your nose. <laughs> Uh, they used to make fun of us when we first moved to Texas. They, I walked in, Kay uh, was a, she had to wait tables uh, because we were broke. <laughs> and uh, I walked into the back of the restaurant to pick her up one time. And a bunch of the kitchen helpers had her in the corner and they're saying, okay, now say roof. And she'd say roof. And they'd go, <laughs> it's hilarious, say it again. Rough, <laughs> and they'd laugh at her because our Yankee twang. Uh, she got a, she offended a table one time because she walked up to him, and it was four gals, three or four gals sitting at this table. And she said, "Hey, what can I get you guys to drink?" And the three or four gals said, "We're not guys." And she said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, <laughs> easy. I'm Yankee." And they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> People groups. You, there's people groups in this church. You've grown up, almost everybody in this church grew up in some other dynamic. So no matter what your thing is, the reason I say this is because you're not excluded. Nobody can exclude themselves in here. You need to be taught. No, 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 you don't understand, Pastor. I've got it all figured out. Well, God bless you. We're going to put your... Never mind. Um, The word for teach here is Matteo or something like that. Uh, It means to intransitively... Anybody got that? I don't know what that means. Intransitively to become a pupil. It just means to transition from somebody who's got it all figured out to someone that needs help getting it figured out. That's what a pupil is. A pupil is a person who's getting it figured out. (laughs) It's not okay in in American society to ever admit that you ain't got it all figured out. You'll lie. I know you're a Christian and you never lie. But outside of being in the church, you'll lie throwing people off the fact that you don't know what's going on. We make stuff up all the time. Because it's, it shows, it's, it's humility, it's, it's normalcy. And, we're, and we can't let people know that we're, uh, we're normal people. We have to be the most educated, we've got to know everything about everything. Don't you hate it when people do that? Like they know everything about everything and you know they don't know everything about everything, but they still pretend like they know everything about everything? Yeah, it really irritates God when we do it. Hey God, I got this. I'm way smarter than you. I read an encyclopedia. To become a pupil, to transition into becoming a pupil, to transition into a disciple, to enroll, to become a scholar. 
a learner to learn. That it means to to become a disciple is to say, I am never going to stop learning. Okay, now I know that you're like, yeah, amen, never going to stop learning. Okay, you you do realize that this is not that normal. I don't, I'm, I don't. I know. I feel like I'm not connecting with this. Paul said that it's um, to the person who thinks that they know something, they know nothing. And this is something that I've embraced in my life. I know a ton. I have seen the dead raised. I've seen cancers healed. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen. Dozens, thousands, tens of thousands of people saved and, and healed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Literally. I've been doing this since I was five. Minus a few comatose moments. Amen. I've seen tens of thousands of people touched supernaturally by the power of God. And I know nothing. I know nothing. Nothing. As it relates to what I need to know. Can I take folks into where I'm at? Yeah, I'm walking in divine health. Got a great marriage. We're moving forward in nearly every area of our lives. We've got kids that I haven't killed and they love us. I mean, we're, we're headed that way. We ain't got it, right? Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't hear you. <laughs> love you, Dad. We're headed that way. Do I have it all figured out? No. Do I have more figured out than I used to? Yeah. I'm, what, kindergarten? Maybe first grade? I'm okay with that. I got, I got all of eternity to learn everything my father knows. But I need to recognize the fact that I know nothing. I need to come before him and people that have gone before me. There's a bunch of folks that I've got in my life where I've literally on purpose put them in my life and say, hey, you're smarter than me. Tell me how to do stuff. You, and this is, not, this is not normal in today's society. Now, you'll do that like if you need to change your alternator. You'll, you'll come like a, you know, like a, like a little kindergarten person. Oh, help me change my alternator. But if somebody comes and say, hey, let me help you make your marriage better. Hey, 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 shut up. Just stay out. I don't need your opinion. We'll go to, we'll go to wealth managers. We'll read uh, Robert T. Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, okay, this guy can help me figure out how to be rich. But then the Bible or a preacher or Pastor Bob will stand up and say, Hey, here's how you build wealth in the kingdom. What do you know, stupid? You're just reading the Bible. The Bible ain't got nothing to say about money. And you can see that people don't believe it. 7% of the body of Christ tithes. 7%. 7%. of the body of Christ actually believe that God has anything to do with their finances. Because you don't believe God has anything to do with your finances until you're at least a tither. <laughs> you, 
you literally don't trust God until you're at least a tither. And it's not like you're not earning anything from God by tithing. Like, give me a break. He, he doesn't owe anybody anything. But tithing means that, hey, I acknowledge the fact that, God, you are in charge of my finances. I am not. And I submit and yield to what you want to do in my finances by returning to you 10% of everything that comes into my life. And if you don't, listen, I don't know anybody in this church besides me gives. I mean, I, I assume so, because in this case, <laughs> in this case, hiding a gajillion dollars somewhere, we're getting a paycheck. So obviously, I, that it makes me know that some of you are given. But the point is, I'm not saying this at anybody. I don't know who gives in here. I don't know if you don't. I don't know how much you give. I don't even care, because it's really between you and God. But if you're not, it's just telling you that your heart is really not connected to Him in that area. Now listen, if you can't trust God with your money, are you for real that you can trust God with your soul? (laughs) You can't trust Him with your wallet? You're going to trust Him with your soul? Come on. That's not even legit. You're, you can't trust Him with your health. You're going to trust Him with your eternity? Well, God can't take care of me in a pandemic. How in the world are you going to ever trust Him to take care of you in eternity? He can't take care of you in a pandemic. And I ho- I'm not picking on anybody. I don't know in here who, what you did during the pandemic. I don't know. I'm just saying. You, if you can't do the, if I can't jump a foot, I can't jump a hundred feet. A hundred feet is trusting God with my eternal soul. That's a hundred feet. Trusting Him with money and my health. That's a that's six inches. Okay, you guys don't love this at all. (laughs) To make pupils of all people groups. The church has not done this. They have not taken people groups and brought them into discipleship. The world's done this. The world has made really good disciples. They'll, They'll repeat all of the world's narratives over and over and over. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The word baptize in the Greek is baptizo. It means to immerse, submerge, to completely saturate. To immerse, to submerge, and to completely saturate. In the name... Of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word name means authority, essence, honor, value, character. It doesn't mean like Steve and I turn and look at you. That's why names were so important in the Bible if you paid attention. Because it was about authority. It was about essence. It was about character. It was about honor. It was about value. 
It wasn't just the title, the, the name tag that everybody said, oh, okay, your name is so-and-so. No. There's more to it than that. So to immerse, submerge, and completely saturate someone in the character, nature, nature, honor, essence, and authority of the Father. To immerse someone, completely saturate someone in the character, nature, honor, essence, and authority of Jesus. And to immerse someone in the character, honor, essence, and authority of the Holy Spirit. And by doing that in water, it is publicly being made aware that this person is committing themselves to immerse completely, to saturate completely in the honor, essence, authority, and character of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now for someone to not understand all that, then what happens when they are immersed in water is they get wet. That's what happens. To quote-unquote baptize a baby, all you did was make them wet. And if you know anything about babies, they generally stay wet. You didn't help anything. When a person says, I am publicly displaying, Through this action of being immersed in water, they are declaring externally something that they believe internally. They believe internally they've been immersed, saturated by the character, honor, essence, and authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because they believe that so deeply, they want everyone to know. They want to proclaim. They want a physical example of a spiritual reality. And so they go down in the water. When that person goes down in the water, and I do this with every single person that I water baptize, I say, what are you leaving in this water? And for some people, who are you leaving in this water? Because it could be one or the other. It could be, what are you leaving in this water? I'm leaving um, a broken marriage in the water. I'm leaving a poverty mindset in the water. I'm leaving drama queen or king. So I'm not picking on anybody. I'm leaving emotional feeling person that's pushed around by the world. I'm leaving that in the water. I'm leaving a broken little girl that's carried the weight of what happened to her when she was five in the water. I'm leaving the narrative of the world in the water. Whatever you're leaving in that water stays in that water. That water becomes a grave. So then what comes out is something new. And for some of you, this is why, like, you're just going to figure things out. Like, you're just going to keep working and working. You know, you, you're, you're 30, 40, 50 years old. You know, you're all right. You don't really need to do this radical change thing. Because you're, you're kind of better than you were. The problem is, is that Jesus said, you have to be born again. 
You don't get to fix yourself. If you can fix yourself, then there was no reason for Jesus to come. If you could just get there from self-help, through changing, by reading the cool book, by the next psychological guru, who can tell you how to make, how to make yourself smile more? The ten ways to a happier life. If that really is the case, then Jesus dying on the cross was murder. And the Father is a murderer. If you could get there from just doing better, being better, acting better, thinking better, if you could get there without Jesus, then the Father murdered Him. Because the Father was convinced that there was no way, no truth, and no life except through the Son. And the Son says, you have got to be born again. There's no other way into it. You have got to die. Jesus didn't come to make you better. Jesus didn't come to make you wiser, to make you prettier. Jesus didn't come to make you happier. Jesus didn't come to make you wealthier, to make you healthier. Jesus came to kill you. There was nothing He could do with this. He came to kill you. And because of His kindness, His grace, His mercy, and His love for you, instead of killing you, He killed Him for you. It was the only way He could do it and still be congruent with grace and love and mercy. You couldn't be fixed. You were unfixable. You were broken beyond repair. There was only one thing to do. Throw it out. And give you Him. And I know there's a lot of people in this room, even in this room, even in the crazy church, there's still a lot of people who are like, hey, 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 I'm not that bad. It's, it's not that bad. That I actually have to throw the whole thing out. Well, God bless you. One day when you realize it really is that bad, one day you'll realize there is no good thing in you except Christ. It's the only thing that's good. All of my righteousness was like filthy rags. I see that now. Whenever I tried to do good, it was always manipulated. I'm going to do good and then they'll do good back and... And I know you, you weren't as wicked as me. You're way more holy and pious than I was. But I was very self-centered. All of my activities, all of my thinking were very self-centered. I was doing everything for myself. And when the veil was open before me, when, when everything was exposed and I seen myself with the eyes of God, I seen how filthy and wretched I was. And there wasn't no fixing it. And to be fair... God's pretty good at fixing stuff. And so if God says there was no way of fixing it, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Teaching them to observe All things 
Do you see how the church doesn't embrace this? They pick and choose what they want to teach. It's whatever whatever fits the motto for the church. Let me let me do this for example. Jesus came in, in Luke four eighteen and nineteen. Now this is the first message after he was filled with the Holy Spirit to the first church. So this is the the only Son, the only begotten Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, just kicked the devil's tail after forty days of being tempted. Goes back to the church, his hometown church, to his headquarter church, and he preaches the first message ever. And he stands up and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, opens up the scroll of Isaiah, finds the place where Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to the first thing that he's anointed to do is declare good news to poor people. The first thing. And if you want to be villainized by American Christianity, say that you believe in prosperity. And the first thing that Jesus said under the unction of the Holy Spirit in church was prosperity is part of the gospel. You know how, uh, you know how cool and hip it is today to say how much you hate prosperity gospel. You want to get forty extra Facebook friends? Go on there and say how much you hate the prosperity gospel. Oh yeah, I know those prosperity preachers, like Jesus. I hate those prosperity preachers. Teaching them all things. To observe all things. Did Jesus teach how to heal? Yes, yes, yes. Are, are a lot of churches today teaching how to heal? No. no. It's a pandemic. Hide. Yeah. What did Jesus tell people to do in a pandemic? You realize that leprosy was a pandemic in Jesus' day. Let me explain leprosy real quick for those of you that don't know. Leprosy was 100% communicable. 100%. You came within contact of leprosy. You got it. No vaccine. No. You you got it. And it was 100% fatal. If you got it, you died. 100% communicable. 100% fatal. What did Jesus tell the disciples to do with lepers? Heal them. Heal them. What does the church tell the Christians to do with coronavirus? Run! Run! Scary! It'll make your nose stuffy for at least two days. It's a different gospel. Jesus told the church to heal. Jesus told the church to go get poor people and make them wealthy. Jesus told the church to go find the brokenhearted and heal them. And a lot of pastors are creating brokenhearted people by telling them they're disqualified for the gospel. You're just not good enough. 
It's literally the opposite. He said, make them observe all things. All things. So if Jesus did it, we're supposed to be doing it. If Jesus preached it, we're supposed to be preaching it. If Jesus believed it, we're supposed to be believing it. All things. Which means I don't get to decide what part of the gospel is okay at Beloved Church. I have to read it and say, well, that's what he said. It's not my gospel. It's his gospel. This is, uh, why am I covering this in baptism? Because when you go down in the water, <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason that baptism is done the way it is. There's three things that are a part of baptism that you need to understand. There is the baptizer. There is the noun, or what, what is being baptized. And then there's the medium or the substance in which they're being baptized. So honestly, if you were Kone Greek, which I know you're not, if you were Kone Greek, you could wake up tomorrow morning... And you could take your donut and you could baptize it in your coffee. That's literally what the word means. It means to dunk, to submerge and immerse. It's actually not a religious word. It just means what a person does with their donut. You dunk in... (laughs) I just caught that. (laughs) Anybody can have revelation. (laughs) How have I never... Praise Jesus. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. So you have a baptizer. So if you're, if you're doing this with your donut, you are the baptizer. The donut is the thing being baptized, and the coffee is the medium or the substance. Are you following me? Okay. When a person is baptized in water, you have to go backwards. Because you do not have the muscle ability to take yourself back out of the water if you go over backwards. Nobody in this room has the ability muscularly to raise themselves out of the grave. You have to be resurrected by someone else. You have to trust that that person that is taking you down is going to bring you back up. I want you to see this in the Spirit. I know, I know I'm trying to make this in the water physical thing, but I want you to see this. When you come to God, you have to recognize, like, I'm incapable of doing this. And you have to go back into His arms and trust and believe that not only is He going to immerse you in Himself, but He's going to bring you out in the resurrection of new life. The... The baptizer in water baptism will be, uh, me and Bob, will be on either side. We'll be flanking you. And together, we will make sure that you come back up. (laughs) Some of you, we're going to have to pray about it. (laughs) While you're down, me and Bob will have a discussion. What do you think? Uh, The bubbles are still coming. (laughs) A little longer. We'll we'll bring you back up, I promise. At least he will. I've counseled some of you. You need to stay down. 
You, you have to trust that those that take you down are going to bring you up. In, the, in baptism in water, the medium is the water, obviously. You can't sprinkle this. I don't even know where this came from. It's just religious to think that water... There's no such thing as holy water. I'm sorry if that messes with your doctrines. I'm sorry. Water doesn't get holy. God is holy. You might want to be careful comparing God to natural things. Most people treat Him like a dog. You can tell when they pray. God! You better... He ain't your dog on your leash. So, there's tons of different baptisms. You can be baptized into Christ. This is what happens when you're born again. When you're born again, there's an old man that's standing there. That in humility and submission falls in to the arms of the Father. And he's flanked by the Father and the Holy Spirit. No man comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. There's a reason that it's in there in different ways. So when a person is baptized into Christ, they're flanked by the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Holy Spirit immerse them into the Son. And they come out with none of that old man. They only come out with resurrection life. When a person is baptized into the Holy Spirit, and hopefully this helps some of you because this is one of those doctrines that people just like, ah, I don't think we need to do all that and tongue talk in and, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Then you don't need to have the third part of the Godhead in your life. You're obviously so awesome, you don't need that part. I do. I am anti-awesome. I'm far from awesome. I need as much of God as, as is possible. Amen. So when you are immersed, baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the Father and the Son who are immersing your soul. Your soul into the person of the Holy Spirit. One of the main things that happens when someone is immersed, baptized, and saturated by the Holy Spirit is their emotions immediately get better. Some. Some other folks need more discipleship than others. Their emotions immediately get better because they've immersed their soul man into the Holy Spirit. Often, I've seen this happen more times than I can count. They get smarter. And I know you think that's funny. I'm telling you the truth. Because your mind, cognitively, your mind works to the degree that you allow God to interact. God is all wisdom. Where are you going to get wisdom from that doesn't come from Him? So when you allow your soul, which is your will, your personality, and your way of thinking, when you, when you allow it to become saturated in the Spirit of God, you're going to think better. Your will, you're going to have more self-control. You do realize you have zero control of self without God. Galatians 5 says that part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So you do not have control of self without the Spirit. Are, are we following this? Okay. For I won't do this. I'll move on. In the message translation, 
These verses say, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. This is Jesus speaking. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life. Marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. Baptism isn't the end, it's the beginning. You are saying, I am inadequate in this area. Something needs to be put in the grave in my life. And then when you come out, now you're a fresh slate. You're saying, now I can hear what I need to hear. I can be taught what I need to be taught. Because I got rid of the baggage, the luggage, the the hindrances. It's not the end. A lot of people, I'm baptized, I'm good now. Peace out. It's just the beginning. (laughs) Now you're able to be taught because you went down in humility and you came out with resurrection power. John the Baptist says it this way. I'm going to read this little story. This is John the Baptist. If anybody knows about baptism, John the Baptist... This is Luke 3.3. As he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance. Okay, so what is this? Baptism of repentance. So that means people were immersed, submerged, and saturated in repentance. (laughs) Repentance is another cuss word in today's Christianity. People, you just don't talk about it. I don't need to repent. You... (laughs) Yeah, you do. Repent is the Greek word metanoe. Meta means to change, like metamorphosis. It means to change. And noe is the center of your thinking. So to change the center of your thinking is repentance. I used to think this way. Now I completely changed and think this way. That's repentance. I was just talking to a young lady yesterday. This happened to her so pronounced and so physical when we were talking on the phone, that she literally screeched. She went, ah! I'm like, what? She goes, i just seen a bunch of stuff I've never seen in my entire, my entire life. And I'm like, okay, well, praise God. You, you can actually have this happen on the inside. It doesn't have to be like, oh, Lord, I come before you, repentance. No, you actually like, oh, my gosh, I used to think this way. Now I think this way, and this way is true. Yeah. Amen. So he was baptized, he was immersing, submerging, and saturating them in a complete change of thinking. See, if you untwine these words, now it doesn't sound religious. He was preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. I can preach for days on this. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. What happens when you fill a valley, and you bring low a hill and a mountain? Okay, so you live in your life like this, with your emotional Facebook explosions that go from cussing everybody out to loving God with your Bible verse? God didn't bring you to six flags. It's the kingdom. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. 
Any part of your flesh that wants to be saved, God can do it. Well, no, He can't save me. Well, I can assure you, you're not beyond His ability. Then said He to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of Him, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So before Bob and I will baptize you, if you want to be baptized today, if you want to leave something dead in the Smith pool, before you come down, Bob and I are going to say, you generation of vipers, who allowed you to get into the pool? You sorry, terrible person. You know why we don't do this? Is it because people wouldn't get, why? don't be talking bad about me. You're coming to the pool to kill something. And you're mad at me because we're going to identify what you're going to kill. I will ask you, Bob and I will ask you in the pool, what's dying in the pool? What is terrible in your life? What shouldn't be in your life that has to die in this pool? We're going to ask you. You're going to tell us. Because you need to denounce. You need to let that thing in you, that way of thinking, that... That personality trait, whatever it is, you need to let that thing know it's dying today. We're going to give you the opportunity to kill it. Oh, generation of vipers. You know what a viper is? Uh, Good. A snake. Specifically, a poisonous snake. Some of the traits about snakes that maybe you didn't think about. Camouflage. You usually don't know you're being bit by a snake until you're bit. When we lived in Texas, I got bit. It's a long story. Ask me about it later. It takes a lot of humility for me to tell a story. But anyway, I got bit by a rattlesnake. Praise Jesus. And I, I realized that Mark chapter 16 was, uh, was very important <laughs> to the believer that you'll take up snakes. Uh, I didn't mean to get bit by a rattlesnake. I didn't know it was a rattlesnake. And then it bit me. Then I knew. Some things you learn by experience. They're camouflage. A lot of poisonous snakes look like non-poisonous snakes. Just a little bit different. What is poison? Poison is something that comes from the fangs of their mouth. You know what that would be? Words. Words. This is why Isaiah chapter 54 says that every weapon that is formed against you, you shall condemn. Because the weapons of the enemy... He's only got two, thoughts and words. Thoughts and words. And oftentimes, the thoughts come from the words. Words are weapons. Words are weapons in your mouth. Words are weapons in vipers' mouths. And he was saying that this was an entire generation of weaponized words. You've generation of vipers, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. He said, I won't baptize you until you are bearing the fruit that you want this in your life. 
I need, I need you to get this. The water's not magical, y'all. This is something that you want to do. If you want to die away a bad marriage, if you want to leave a bad marriage in the pool, it's got to be something that you want, that you're driving towards, that you're willing to do and come out and be trained in the new way of marriage. If you want to die away poverty and leave poverty in the water, then when you come out of the water, then you need to expect that the Holy Spirit and people that God puts in your life are going to train you, disciple you in how to receive prosperity through the kingdom of God. He said, I will not dunk you in this Jordan River until I know that there is fruit in your life. That you actually want this. I'm not wasting my time getting you wet just to get you wet. And I dare say that Bob and I are the same thing. We're not going to just get you wet to get you wet. We want to know that you want it. That you're going to do the things, bear the fruits that are necessary to bring these things forth in your life. In In Christian baptism... Those three things that I said was the the person, the, the one that baptizes, the baptizor, the medium, and the baptizee. One of the things that you are is you are taken down by a servant and you are brought up as a servant. This is why Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet, they said, no, Lord, don't wash our feet. How dare you, Lord, God, creator of all life, how dare you wash our feet? And he said, unless I come to serve you, you've got no part in me. Unless you allow yourself to be served, and you allow yourself to become a servant, you don't understand this process. I'm going to read these verses and then we'll be done. This is Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? I'm holding up my fingers because that's four questions out of five statements. Romans chapter 6 starts out with four out of four Questions out of five sentences, which obviously means that it has to tie into Romans 5. The second to the last verse of Romans 5 is where sin abounds, where the nature, character of sin abounds, grace does much more abound. That's why he starts out six by saying, well, if grace abounds where sin abounds, why don't we just go live in sin? And it's actually a logical question. If there's more grace coming at you when you're living in sin, man, get you some sin. So he has to answer that question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Which, by the way, in the Greek is like cussing. How shall we that are dead to the nature, the character of sin, live any longer therein? Now remember, sin, the word means to miss the mark. You are dead to missing the mark. That that should have been a better amen. You are dead to missing the mark. You're a marksman. You're a sniper. 
You're dead to missing the mark. What's the mark? It depends on the area that you're looking at. I am dead to missing the mark in being a husband. I died it away. I died it. I died died it. Double died it. I'm going to hit the mark of being a godly husband to my wife. I'm going to hit the mark to being a godly father to my children. I'm going to hit the mark to being a godly shepherd of this church. I'm going to hit the mark to being a godly son of my godly father. I'm going to hit the mark. By God's grace. Not by my action, by God's grace. Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into His death. His death. So this doesn't have to be your pain, your torture. It was His pain, His torture. You going down in the water is acknowledging that what He did for you was enough. What He did for you was enough. Not what you do for Him. What He did for you was enough. So you submit to it and come out with His resurrection life. Therefore, we are buried with Him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, like as, like as, like as, like as, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Walk here on earth, not in heaven. Here on earth. You should walk here in newness of life, not oldness of aging. Anybody? Okay, all the old people. You should walk in newness of life, not the oldness of aging. Five of you. All right. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified. Our old man is crucified. Our old man is... Well, I still got this old man, Pastor. Well, let's crucify it. You want to crucify it today? Well, no, I'm going to keep it. All right, well, let me know. Whenever you want to crucify it, we'll do that. You want to keep your old man, you can keep it. If you want to crucify it, we'll kill him today. Bob and I are good murderers. I don't think Bob said amen. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body of sin might be destroyed. Anybody know what destroyed means in the Greek? (laughs) No, that's not true, Pastor. We can't destroy that old way. All right, be it unto you according to your faith. That our body of sin might be destroyed. 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 That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Did you all know that was in the Bible? If you're dead, you're free from sin. So if you're alive to sin, you sin. If you're dead from sin, you're free from sin. Which one do you want to be? We can kill you today. We're going to kill people in a pool. If you want to die to that, you can. You, uh, otherwise, you can keep your misery, you can keep your poverty, you can keep your sickness, you can keep, you can keep whatever you want to keep. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. If you want to be, if that's how you want to live, you are free to live that. We'll love you. You can come to church here forever. We will love you. We won't treat you any different. But 
We're just going to encourage you to die to it. Today's a great chance. Please rise. I want to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.